Hello, my friend. Welcome back again to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 188. Pre-roll, real quick, guys, at the top of the show. If you want to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, etc., mostly iTunes, because that really drives a lot of our listenership, we would love it. And if you leave a question, we will answer it. I'm going to do a couple quickies today, but we're going to do another show, as we did before, with uh, Mark, Odie, and myself, answering your in-depth or just plain stupid questions. <laughs> They're all welcome here. Uh, also, guys, if you've not subscribed to Bravo and Beer, the new podcast from myself, John Odermatt, and Rico, our legal counsel, breaking down from a man's perspective these trash hole reality TV shows, well, what are you waiting for? Commiserate with us. I know there's a lot of you out there that have been sucked into watching this stuff. We just had Jason Stapleton on last episode. It's a great time. So remember, Bravo and Beer, anywhere you can find your podcast. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Welcome all to Electric Liberty Land, a regular show. None of that interview stuff, although I do have some interviews I will be doing in the coming weeks. I am definitely going to have at least one comedian on. I am probably going to have some authors of a book about how uh, moral talk has become a true evil for society and grandstanding. I have that book now and I'm reading it, so I'll probably have them on. But in between, I got to give you people what you love. Because as I said before, my damn downloads take a hit every time I have a guest on here. You guys just love hearing me yell and get pissed off into a microphone. And speaking of, honestly, you know, you miss, if you're not in our Lions of Liberty Pride anyway, which of course you can join by going to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, as little as $5, but you can join all the way up to like $250 if you want to get the real primo package. Ah, we come to your house, we wax your car. <laughs> We bang your wife. <laughs> we do whatever you want, you cuck. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a family show. Uh, no, but I did a, a very drunken, very drunken show. Um, very secret Electric Liberty Land episode number 185 or 187.5. Sounds like a good uh, radio station, doesn't it? 187.5 Liberty Radio with me, Brian McWilliams, coming at you every morning, still hungover and drunk from the night before. Where did I get these bruises? You don't need to know, but her name was Jesmelda, and she was a dominatrix. Uh, anyway, I did a great show, if I do say so myself. Really fantastic, top-notch stuff. But you can only hear it if you're a member of the Pride. And you know what? During the recording of that show, I kept going, ah, I got to save this story to do on the regular show. But now this is too much other news, so I'm not going to do it. And I was going to take an excerpt from that show to tease on this show. But, ah, you know what? If you want to hear it, I'm not going to give you a taste. You just got to join the Pride. You just got to do it. You got to cough up $5 a month. Make sure that we are uncancelable, as is the goal of this show, where we can dedicate all of our time to doing it rather than having to piecemeal it together uh, in our spare time, our precious spare time. Me, with a six-month baby at home, trying to do it all, trying to live the dream, working, playing, drinking. Not going out, not really doing much, but, you know, still trying to make it happen. And then also this week, so we got 
I got my brand new Lions of Liberty laptop, which actually, you know what? I, I got to see if we can get stickers in Spotify, Lions of Liberty stickers, because we do need them. I'll slap one on my laptop as the Lions of Liberty and our Pride members, thank you, Pride members, had made it possible for us to upgrade. Both Mark and I have gotten our new uh, MacBooks and uh, mine desperately needed because just dealing with the crashing and everything on this computer and the slow nature of using it has been a nightmare. Also, will make it a lot easier for me to create video content. But now I'm just going through the hell of trying to port information over to it from my original to the new one using the migration assistant, which seems to love working for four hours. And then when it gets to about the 30 minutes left, Mark, just saying, hey, double barrel, fuck you, Brian. You know how you wanted me to take that information and, and keep it on my hard drives? Well, fuck you. Fuck you to death. Not going to do it. I'm just going to decide to stall. I'm not going to finish the migration. I'm just going to sit here mocking you, staring at you and laughing at you with my clamshell mouth until you want to punch me in it and break the very new computer that cost two grand. Ah, technology. As I say, my common refrain with technology, it's never fucking easy. Never. It's never fucking easy. The only thing actually I'd say, my iPhone, getting my iPhone ported to a new iPhone, that was easy. I just downloaded it from the cloud, bingo, bango. This going through Wi-Fi, it, it refuses to do it via a hard connection, which is idiotic because it's the fastest way. Just go bam, bam. Nope, insists on Wi-Fi. So now I have to buy a hard drive to put it on a hard drive, then transfer it via hard drive. Instead of, it's just, uh, God damn it. Just God damn it. But anyway, that's not Liberty related. All right, let's get into the show. So as you may have guessed from the title of the episode, A Trader Joe Shall Lead Them, I will be talking about that. These heroes, these heroes in Hawaiian garb, they have to be talked about. But first, I want to talk about real briefly, because today I'm, I'm seeing these videos on Twitter, just a fucking massive explosion in Beirut. Over Lebanon, I mean, uh, massive, where it looks like this, you know, it's by a port. What looks like smoke coming out of a building, right? All of a sudden explodes in a mushroom cloud. Legitimate mushroom cloud. I mean, it looks like a scene out of a war movie. And, the, you know, at first, the, uh, the, they're trying to spin the narrative on this where they're saying, oh, it's just this was fireworks storage that went off. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think even fireworks storage presents a blast of this magnitude. Uh, I don't care how many fireworks you have in there. And also, if it was a fireworks blast, would we see a little bit of color in there rather than just a big white mushroom cloud that evaporates the entire region? And, you know, I'm making light of it because I'm an asshole. But, and I, and I'll honestly, note to myself, do not store my fireworks in Beirut. But they do know how to party. What a fireworks display they put on. Happy uh, Independence Day, I guess, Beirut. So I'm making light of it. But a lot of people did get injured. Thousands were injured. I think hundreds were killed in this blast. And really, they're tracing it back and saying that Hezbollah has, uh, which I guess has some influence in the region, had been storing an arms cache there, or cache. Can't remember which one it is with that when you're talking about armament. But they're storing their arms there, and that Israel had put in a strike on it, and that's what blew it up. These are all unconfirmed rumors. You know, we can't point the finger at Israel uh, just just yet. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, maybe you shouldn't have let Hezbollah stall their arms there. Eh. And uh, those sides to blame. 
Anyway, crazy, crazy shit. So if you haven't seen that video, it is linked to in the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL188. All right, let's move on to these Hawaiian shirts, these beautiful floral garbed warriors for freedom of, uh, of branding, I guess we'll call it. Hashtag freedom of branding. So as you know, the woke mob came for Trader Joe's in one of the fucking stupidest things I've ever seen in my entire life. By, uh, and basically this was a, it was a petition they signed. And I think the petition only had like 10,000 signatures, which is like, who cares? Who cares about 10,000 imbeciles? So they signed a petition and it got a lot of media coverage with Woke Nation calling for Trader Joe's to change all of the quote-unquote racist names that they had on their products. Now, if you've been to Trader Joe's, and I love Trader Joe's, I mean, honestly, I could not love it more. Good food, good prices, great customer service, good shopping experience. They do a good job of getting you in and out of there fucking fast. It's dynamite. But you go in there, and they've got I think very cleverly, humorously, you know, Trader Joe's doesn't take itself too seriously. Humorously says Trader Giantos, right? If it's a, it's like a pasta or Trader Jose's salsa. Now, if you're not a woke imbecile, you understand that nothing about this is even remotely racist. It's not cultural appropriation. It's not racism or, or adopting a stereotype. I think predominantly this was driven by the Jose uh, moniker because I think it was a, a Latina or Lat- Latinx as they like to call everybody now Latinx um, lady who probably saw Jose and saw I thought oh racism Jose that's the most racist name you could have in the Spanish language if you're a white person you say Jose clearly you are racist that's the first name that comes to anybody's head of course for mine it would be Speedy Gonzalez let's let's not joke around here that's predominant from where I grew up But, again, if you're not an idiot, you realize that, well, it's Trader Joe's. Trader Jose is just a literal translation of what you would call Joe in Spain or Mexico. And they did this with all their products, you know, from around the different regions. Again, using a regional regional moniker for what you would call that name. It's kind of like when Chinese people come over. And you, ha- and you hear this all the time, you know, it'll be Nancy. For some reason, a lot of Chinese women choose Nancy as a name or Ellen or whatever. And some of them correspond, you know, somewhat closely to the Chinese name. Maybe maybe her name is uh, Huan, right? And you're like, okay, Huan, Elan, you know, Ellen. Great. Yeah, close enough. You see the same thing. They're trying to adopt a local moniker in order to make it translate better and just give a local flair. No problem. No racism to that. So the fucking idiot mob goes after Trader Joe's. And this is what I'm saying. Again, I'm, I'll talk about another example of cancel culture and how I'm, I'm all for this thing going as fast as possible and having these, these mobs attack quickly, viciously, so that we see, and we're starting to see the worm turn on this, that we see big corporations telling them to go pound sand. So... Trader Joe's, after receiving this petition, and initially I thought they actually were going to say, okay, we'll change our, (laughs) we'll change our packaging. So they wrote this letter to their valued customers. To our valued customers. In light of recent feedback and attention we've received about our product naming, we have some things we'd like to clarify about our approach. A few weeks ago, an on, a few weeks ago, excuse me, an online petition was launched calling for us to quote, remove racist packaging from our products. 
following were inaccurate reports about the petition prompting us to take action. We want to be clear. We disagree that any of these labels are racist. We do not make decisions based on petitions. And this is where you have the slow clap as the whole auditorium stands up and starts cheering, Joe, 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 Joe. We make decisions based upon what customers purchase, as well as the feedback we receive from our customers and crew members. If we feel there's need for a change, we don't hesitate to take action. Decades ago, our buying team, decades ago, our buying team started using product names like Trader Giatos, Trader Jose's, Trader Ming's, etc. We thought then and still do that this naming of products could be fun and shows appreciation for other cultures. For example, we named our Mexican beer Trader Jose Premium, and a couple of guacamole products are called Avocados Number in a kitschy reference to mathematical theory. I'm trying to think what the hell... <laughs> Avocados number. Avocados number. I'm familiar with the Fibonacci sequence. Yeah, I don't know what avocados number is supposed to mean. But I take their word for it, Trader Jose. I I bow to your decades of experience in number theory. These products have really been popular with our customers, including some budding mathematicians. Yada, 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 yada. Recently, we have heard from many customers reaffirming that these name variations are largely viewed in exactly the way they were intended as an attempt to have fun with our product marketing. Now, that cuts to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? That so often we see these fucking lefty woke mobs go after and attack corporations, attack people, attack uh, phrases, attack language, attack books, attack movies, attack whatever that fucking might be on behalf of the offended peoples, right? On, on behalf of the poor offended black people who apparently can't speak up. On behalf of the poor Mexicans who apparently, you know, Lat Latinos who apparently don't comprise almost half of this country. <laughs> on behalf of whatever it might be, they have to make sure to speak for those people who apparently have no agency and have no voice and have no way to express their own outrage, should they have any. And typically, there is none. Now, you know, we talked about the Washington Redskins briefly. I... I think that that is a name that deserves a change in. Uh, it would be like calling, you know, hey, welcome. These are the Memphis Tar Babies. You know, like it's, it is a definitive slur. Definitively traced back in history. It is a slur. So I do support changing that name. Now, I don't think that any government agency should have the authority to force that through. And we've seen that it did not hold up in court. The Redskins are now changing it because it became a cultural push that got enough momentum to make it happen. But that being said, you know, we see a lot of people saying that Native Americans don't have a problem with it. And in fact, they root for the team. I don't know how much of that I actually believe or not. I could see it. I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, they could view it as whatever. We're going to own it kind of like, I mean, gay people honestly went out of their way to own faggot. You know, it's it, they took the power back. They call each other. You know, I, I'm not saying everybody is okay with it by any means, but that was something, or queer, you know, especially, especially queer, took that back, said, no, nope, we're claiming this. We're taking it back. The black community with uh, the N-word or the N-word with an A on the end. I'm going to try not to get canceled by saying it out loud on this podcast. But you can see ways in which people say, look, okay, it started as a slur. We're going to go ahead and take that back. We're going to reclaim that word. We're going to make it ours. So that way we're diffusing some of the power it has. Maybe that is what happened with the Redskins. And maybe some Native Americans are, in fact, totally fine with this. Say, whatever. We're going to root for them. We're going to root for the Indians. We're going to root for uh, the, the Fighting Sioux, who I think were forced to change their name, the North Dakota Fighting Sioux. I'm not sure what they're called now. That was an odd one because I feel like that's kind of a, 
a stronger name, you know, like I look, I'm Irish. I'm as, I'm as Irish, Polish and Scottish as they come. I'm white. I'm a heavy drinker and I like meats. So, and yeah, and, and largely uh, I'm a, a large man. We come from big stock, but when we're talking about the fighting Irish of Notre Dame, I could give two flying fucks about that little, <laughs> that little fighting leprechaun, you know, which of course is, it's based upon the Irish stereotype of over drinking, which I do do as well. Uh, probably an aptly found stereotype, but it's based upon a stereotype, a negative stereotype about Irish people getting in fights drunk. You don't see us giving a shit. And the Irish were, def- were definitively used for what was virtually slave labor and sometimes legitimately slave labor, what were put through horrible conditions, what were treated terribly and, you know, came out on the other side all right. I'm not saying, I'm not comparing it as a direct comparison to black slavery because that would be ridiculous, but there are a lot of overlapping factors there. And they were looked at as, as the lowest class at some point. Now, you don't see the woke mob going out of the way to say, these poor Irish should be up in arms. We got to change it. Nah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's even though it's a negative stereotype of the drunk Irishman fighting, it's kind of funny. You know, Irish people kind of own it. Fine. We get drunk and we punch a little bit. It's kind of funny. It's a funny mascot. Sure. We'll go along with it. We'll roll with it. In the same way, because it's kind of like a, you know, they're the fighting Irish. They're still powerful. They're still coming out there. They're still coming to get you. They're still rallying behind it. That's why I feel like kind of like the fighting Sioux, although they don't even have the negative connotation of just being fighters because they're drunks. Uh, and on, on a side note, by the way, you guys, of course, know I went to Penn State. And uh, not that this is here nor there, but fuck the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Not because of the mascot, not because of the name. I just fucking hate that school. I fucking hate them. They're always overrated. It's full of a bunch of elitist douchebags and a bunch of uh, Catholic cocksuckers. No offense if you're Catholic, by the way. I was raised Catholic. But fuck that school. Thinks it's so fucking cool. Fuck your gold helmets. Want to take a dump on them. All right. And don't forget, by the way, Degenerate Gamblers is back. Speaking of sporting events. We are back, even though we, you know, it's, it's hit and miss with these sports teams right now. But if, also, if you be a member of the Pride, if you want to join, you will hear our weekly Degenerate Gamblers show with me, John Enrico. Again, talking about shit, talking about stories, talking about getting drunk, falling down, falling off of apartment balconies, all that stuff. So this is, though, getting back to this Trader Joe's story after my very, very long tangent. This is the playbook. We're finally seeing Trader Joe's leading them. Spread the Red Seas, Trader Joseph. <laughs> Next product line. Next product line from ladies' tampons from Trader Joe's. Trader Joseph's. Part the Red Waters. And we just lost all of our female listeners. Uh, but there you go. Trader Joe's shall lead them. This is what the cancel culture has to be. This is how you combat it. We're seeing these people say, enough is enough. This is fucking stupid. And Trader Joe's is showing these other corporations how it's done. You tell them flat out, nope, we don't agree. You're wrong. We think that what we do is funny. We think it's, it's clever. Our customers like it. Go pound sand. See you later. And what was the response to this? Rather than rolling over like a bunch of woke assholes, rather than gilletting it up and putting out a bunch of, oh, we, we're so sorry. We support all, uh, all cultures. Black Lives Matter. No. <laughs> nope. Instead of, instead of seeing people go, God damn it, another, another corporation kowtowing to these woke twats, they say, 
go pound sand. And the reaction unanimously from the left and the right was, thank God. Thank God somebody's got the balls. Now, I'll give you another example of cancel culture gone, uh, gone horribly wrong in that one of my favorite movies, and I'll give you a hint at what it is. Then you can have three seconds to yell at me, yell it out. <laughs> Walking around the supermarket, you can yell this out while you listen to this podcast in your earbuds. It's simply this. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yes, that's right. Kindergarten cop. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's not a Tuma. So kindergarten cop was supposed to have a nice drive in showing at, let's see, in Northwest Portland, of course, of course, is in Portland, Portland's Northwest Film Center. So they have a summer drive in schedule and some dumb fuck wokesters said that they have to cancel it, right? I guess this is on Twitter. He writes to the uh, the new Northwest Film Center, and I guess yeah, this guy Lois. Oh, it's a girl, Lois Levine. Well, who knows if it's a guy or a girl these days, right? Especially in Portland. But he uh, talks to Willamette Week, complaining about this. I guess that's a local publication. And here's what he said: It's true, Kindergarten Cop is only a movie. So are Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind. But we recognize films like those are not only good family fun, they are relics of how pop culture feeds racist assumptions. Because despite what the movie shows, in reality, schools don't transform cops. Cops transform schools, and in an extremely detrimental way. And he's saying that this, that kindergarten cop is somehow related to over-policing and a school-to-prison pipeline. How? How do you possibly tie those two concepts? And how does this wuss-ass Northwest Film Center not tell this guy, you're an imbecile, sir. Please go to the end of the line where you'll find a metal bucket you can place over your head. Please find a wooden pole to the right in your right hand. You'll be able to feel it. Now bash it against the bucket as hard as you can about 25, 30 times until your brain just explodes. When blood's coming out of your ears, that's when you can stop banging the bucket on your head, you dumb fuck. I mean, for Christ's sake, for those of you who haven't seen Kindergarten Cop, shame on you. Number one, shame on you. Uh, it's a wonderful movie where, where Arnold Schwarzenegger pretends to be a teacher. He's a hardcore, you know, down and out, dirty alcohol cop. And he, he's, he finds that he has to be a teacher to catch a white criminal. So it's not even like he's catching a black criminal. It's not like there's anything having to do with gang violence or anything have to do with kids that are minorities going to prison. It's a diverse cast, even back in the 80s, diverse cast, or maybe it was 90s. Even the poster, black kid, white kid, Asian kid. Uh, they're missing out. Maybe there's a Latino kid in there. I don't know, hard to tell. So he goes in and through teaching and working with these kids, he not only saves the day from the white criminal who... Fun fact, white guy in that movie who had a ponytail in it, I drank with at a local bar in Santa Monica called The Gaslight, which has a karaoke bar. He was in there and I went and said, hey, man, I love you in kindergarten cop. And he went, hey, thanks, man. Probably hadn't worked since, but nice guy. So anyway, Schwarzenegger learns through the magic of children 
that he needs to soften his ways, that he actually loves working with these kids, that cops can change, right? And isn't that what, the, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're talking about, how you need to get rid of the military influence in policing? And actually, I'll address that right now because this is the perfect time to do it. One of the questions posed during or in the five-star reviews, I'll do two. Uh, one of the questions posed was talking about, because John and I have both done it, and we'll talk about this probably again, but I'll do a quick two-minute on this was talking about military influence in policing. Now, I'm not saying, and the guy was saying, uh, and I apologize, I'm not, I'm not giving you the, maybe I'll pull it up right now. Um, basically, it was asked why we don't view military uh, influence as, as a good thing in the Libertarian Party. I didn't say that, not by any means, by the way. As I said with Joe Collins, I view the military as, as basically a necessity, unless we are all able to have all the bombers and tanks and planes and machine guns that we want. And even then, I think you still would probably want to have some sort of military, um, more so than anything, not for any sort of active warfare, but more as a, a simple deterrent. Because otherwise, while we've never been successfully invaded, if we don't have a military that's capable of competing on that level to deter people, I think that we're going to have people try. <laughs> that much That much I can be sure. Okay, so this question is VFB fan in MA. And he asked, over the last year on Lions, I've heard both Brian and on ELL and John Felony Friday attribute police brutality to returning military veterans. This is a stance I've only previously heard from the far left. Is there any scientific or academic research that supports the position that service members return to civilian life and become police simply to kick doors in? Perhaps the bigger question would be this. Why do libertarian leaders shy away so publicly from the support they get from the military? Research in 2012 should Gary Johnson have any more support Yada, yada, yada. So I, because I talked about this a lot and, and with Joe Collins, uh, military support for Gary Johnson and Ron Paul was overarchingly uh, well and, and beyond anything for GOP or Democrats, especially with Ron Paul. I mean, a massive. I think it was like you know, 70% of military donations went down. So to answer your question at first, I do not, I, I'd have to pull research. I think where I was citing was from one article that I had read that cited some sources, I'd have to pull more about the number of military that go into policing. Now, I did not say, whoops, sorry, banging my desk. I did not say specifically that all of the police brutality is from military members, quote, kicking doors in. What I had hypothesized about is that when you have so many people coming home from the military, that you've got so many people, because we have such a large military industrial complex, returning into society. And as Joe Collins said, you're coming back from a different world. It is legitimately a different world. And I likened it to coming out of prison. You know, it's like Brooks coming out in Shawshank Redemption, not knowing what the fuck to do, and ends up hanging himself. And we see there are a lot of suicides. That's a lot of that's from the VA, you know, dropping the ball and not giving people the medical and, and health services they need. And some of it's just from people not knowing how to acclimate to society again. So you've got these people coming back. They're not necessarily able to get jobs that pay well, that have good, you know, whatever, pensions, retirements, benefits, that all that you might want coming out of military service. You might not have a skill set that makes sense in the current day economy. So what do you turn to? Policing. There are a lot of ex-military in police because it operates in a military fashion. It is literally like joining another police force. And with the over-militarization we've seen, we've seen happen currently, uh, and the ongoing arming of the police and turning it into war of a military arm and SWAT teams, you know, popping up in every service from the fucking EPA through to the uh, the park service. 
That is a very attractive option. Now, my theory was not to say that these people are necessarily evil, but you are trained in the military. It's like I was saying it's an us versus them mentality. And I feel that predominantly policing right now is an us versus them mentality. That comes from a lot of things. That can come from the basics of watch out. These people out there are going to fucking shoot you and kill you because they happen to be the guy in that statistic zone of young black American male, you know, who you say, ah, maybe they're doing most of the crimes. I better go up and uh, and be you know, on high alert to this person. Or it's just over-policing where you're in the streets. People view you as the enemy, especially in these over-policed black communities, Mexican communities, right? Any, or any poor community, even. I mean, it's just even white poor communities. You know, the the income level and the, de- and the difficulty with finding jobs and income, especially where you have large prison populations, be they black, white, Mexican, Asian, whatever. You're going to have people that are desperate that look at the police as the enemy. If you're a cop that was former military walking through this zone that looks like a goddamn demilitarized zone because it is deep in poverty, that you have just fucking tenements on all sides, that you have people that are armed, you know they're armed, walking around you. When you have people constantly watching you, waiting, and you're in there to police them and over-police them, you are naturally going to revert to that us versus them military mindset and react as such. And you have been trained to do that. You know, I don't know how much training the everyday police officer gets, but it's nowhere near as much as military officers. You know, it's nowhere near as, as much as somebody that's been deployed for four years, been in constant training. So I think there is a lot to be said for that pipeline of military to police pipeline and how it can lead to uh, accelerated interactions between the general populace and the police. It just seems too natural not to happen when you have that sort of environment. So there you go. That's one question. <laughs> We'd start a kindergarten cop and go off this only here on Electric Liberty Land. Can you get this sort of high commentary, high intellectually minded tangent going? And another quick one I'll do while we're talking about this. And again, I'll, I'll talk about this with John as well. But Wheat Thin Man, <laughs> Wheat wheat Thin? Yeah, Wheat Thin Man, uh, asks, Brian, you're always talking about your dog, so I was wondering, what type are they? And then he says, by the way, my name is pronounced Wheat Thin. <laughs> Thanks for answering my question. Well, Wheat Thin, thank you for five-star review. My dogs are, uh, so I always talk about my big douchebag dog. His name is Hank. The perfect name for a dog. And he looks exactly like a Hank. He is a, uh, basically looks like a big dingo. He's a chow shepherd mix, which you'd think would come out with a giant, fluffy, massive dog. Hank is not that massive. He's about 65 pounds. So he's not a small dog by any means. And, you know, he gets, he's on his hind legs. He gets pretty big. But he is, literally looks like a dingo. He's got red hair. He does have the purple spotted tongue. But he's got kind of this, I mean, and, and don't he is actually a beautiful dog. We had compliments on him all the time, but he was a straight up street animal. And as such, he's got some fucking problems. You know, at about age two, Hank started having some aggression issues, some, you know, hoard, he'd hoard the dog toys. He'd hoard whatever he could. He'd protect it. I've been bitten several times. Uh, maybe I'm going to, I'll save this for our special drinking episode, which by the way, Again, another reason to join the Pride or special secret drinking rules episode. I think now we pushed that back because Mark uh, had to work or do something. So I think we're looking to do that now the week of the f- August 15th. But anyway, you know, I got bitten several times. 
Uh, I've had, you know, had fights with this dog. We took him to every trainer you could go to. Had a trainer coming to our house that was highly recommended. Took him to the behavioral specialist. Got him on dog Prozac. Got him on um, gabapentin, which is a like a nerve dulling pill that I actually took and a seizure numbing pill because I took it when I had my horrible uh, herniated disc in my back. Long story short, nothing worked because this dog was too crazy. And we eventually had to take him to a boot camp. We put him in there for six weeks. Goodbye. Hardcore training with e-collar. I will say we got him back. It was a little bit, little bit touchy at first. Had to, you know, again, a couple more fights. Got nipped one more time. Smooth sailing since then. Since now he knows who's the boss. He knows the way things are. He knows the very strict structure he lives in. And some people might say, well, that seems terrible to have a dog living that, you know, going from spot to spot and have his freedom. He's the happiest I've ever seen him in my life. And I, and this is what the trainer was telling me. And, and I agree with completely because, you know, dogs are creatures of habit. They are social creatures. And there's usually a hierarchy they operate under. He now is more relaxed because he used to be on edge constantly, um, always licking his mouth and give me the side eye. He's more relaxed than he's ever been because he now knows this is my place. I don't fuck with you and you will not fuck with me. Like I go up and pet him. He's at ease because he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. And I think the e-collar might be responsible for that too. Is he's not getting any, t- any little, you know, zippy zappies. And typically you only say that for some extreme situations where it would actually hurt. It's kind of, I've done it to myself because why, if I'm going to do it to him, I'm going to do it to myself. And, you know, for the most part, it starts to hurt a little bit around 35, 40, uh, whatever amps they are. It just feels like ants crawling on you until then. It's an uncomfortable feeling. But he knows if he's not getting any feeling, he's not in danger and he's much more relaxed and much more happy. And our relationship is better than it's ever been. (laughs) So that's my Chow Shepherd Hank. And uh, you know what I'll do is I'll post a picture of both Hank and Chloe tomorrow for you in the Lions of Liberty forum, which you can join at Lions of Liberty. Uh, Just type it into Facebook, answer a question, tell them you heard about it from me, Brian McWilliams, and we'll let you right in. Uh, My other dog, Chloe, is a little terrier corgi mix. She is adorable. Uh, Hank's about eight now. Chloe is, or maybe, yes, Hank's about eight. Chloe is now about 11 or 12. Very spry, great health, adorable little, a little beast, just as cute as can be. So there you go. Answer your question. Okay. Let me finish up this goddamn, God, I'm going long today, boy. Kindergarten cop. Long story short, these fucking assholes get the screen and canceled, right? Because it's because of this unavoidable plot of the movie that with the prison to uh, school to prison pipeline, which is fucking non-existent and some sort of emphasis on police brutality, which is non-existent in this care, carefree heartwarming family film. So they get it fucking canceled. Now I like this. I root, I root for it. Good. Cancel more, cancel all the things for the dumbest possible fucking reasons. Cancel all the things. Cause as I said, as we're seeing with Trader Joe's and some other sources, the faster this happens, the better it is, the more people are going to get pissed off, the stupider these people are going to look, and the faster we get past this bullshit and we can get back to fucking normal dialogue, civil discourse in our society. So if Kindergarten Cop has got to be canceled in Portland, I know the people there will weep into their nose rings. There will be snot bubbles blowing out like, uh, you know, like when you stick the little popsicle in the bubble and you blow the bubble out. That out there, they're fucking... 
whatever those things are called. They're nose staple, napum septum fucking piercings, whatever they are. So be it. Gotta break some eggs. All right, quick word. Ross Albrecht is serving two consecutive life sentences plus 40 years for creating a means for individuals to anonymously make online exchanges using Bitcoin. His actions did not create victims. For nothing more than creating a marketplace, the government locked him up and threw away the keys. Let's get Ross pardoned and get victimless crimes off of the books. Now, what you heard there, that was the opening to the track Hashtag Free Ross by Tyler Colford, who was a great supporter of our show and a friend of ours. Hung out with this man at Porkfest several times. He is a, a wacky but very talented man. So, basically, Tyler put this track together to raise awareness about Ross, about his insane prison sentence, but also about the broader justice system as a whole that is locking people up in cages for nonviolent crimes, for using plants, etc. Now, it's also important to note that all proceeds from the sale of this track are going to the Free Ross Foundation to help him out with his legal fees, get him money, help his mother to get him out of jail and set this man free. So even if you're not listening to it actively, just play it in your sleep. It helps the algorithm. It helps to generate awareness. Guys, this is an important battle to fight. And you can do it while listening to a hell of a track. So, again, check that out. Hashtag Free Ross. All right, we're back with Electric Liberty Land, episode number 188. And let's see. God, I talked so long on that stuff. All right, what do I want to get into here? How about this? Just a little bit of entertainment I had on my own accord over the weekend is looking at all of the little wokesters, all the millenniums, bending over backwards to attack Donald Trump because he dares talk about defunding the U.S. Postal Service. And I don't, actually, I don't even think he's talking about defunding it. I, thought, I think he's just talking about criticizing it, worried that it's going to have issues with mail-in voters, which I also think there will be major issues, not only with rampant fraud, which I think there will be, not only with taking advantage of uh, mail-in votes, especially where ballot harvesting is concerned, which I talked about before, but just in general... Losing ballots, taking forever. Like how, I don't understand how you expect an election not to be delayed if you're talking about mail-in ballots. Christ, absentee voting takes like two months. They're still counting ballots weeks after the general election. Crazy. But I'm seeing on Twitter one day because Donald Trump's criticizing USPS and talking about how it's, you know, how he doesn't think it does a good job. I agree, Donald. I've been talking about defunding USPS for years. It loses money every single year. Billions of dollars every year. Needs billions in bailouts. The uh, deal they made with Amazon, I'm sure, is helping somewhat. But still, it's antiquated. People don't use it for shit anymore. And by the way, half the time I've mailed anything with money in it, half the time I've gotten money sent to me in the mail with cash, it's torn open and the money's gone. So you not only have people that are working for the government doing a bad job, and and granted, I actually like my mailman right now. He does a a fairly good job. But Christ, I had an envelope sent to me from within Los Angeles that took three weeks to get here. Three weeks to get here. Sent from literally across town. But you see, there's not as much advertisement that's not just spam mail. You're not sending uh, letters to your grandma anymore. You're just not doing it. E-communication has taken over. Video communications have taken over. Text messages have taken over. 
We don't need five days a week delivery, and you have private services that do it far better and for far better cost return. So why do we have this massive infrastructure that we don't need that now has been allotted another $10 billion? Now, the funniest thing about this, though, to me, and this is what I was really laughing about when I was looking at Twitter, is seeing all of these, you know, all these idiots, all these, these new age millennials saying and not, not only when it's younger than millennials too, but because of their hatred for Trump, defending the post office. And I'm like, really? How often have you used it? If you didn't have the online marketplace, the online forum that was Twitter to vent your grievances, are you telling me you would be writing a letter right now and sending it to a company? No. No, you fucking wouldn't. And half of this activism shit is simply because of the ease of use where you can just sit down on your phone, slap a tweet together in two minutes and start a revolution against Trader Joe's. None of these assholes are writing letter campaigns. Not happening. Yet they want to pretend as though the Postal Service is still somehow an absolutely vital every day of the week delivery service. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Let's do a real quick swing to covid I read a great article by Jeffrey Tucker, who, of course, has been on the podcast several times and is a another Porkfest friend of ours. Always hang out with uh, good old Jeffrey Tucker at Porkfest and his bow tie. But he had posted an article called Madness in Melbourne over at uh, AEIR.org. And basically, we are seeing the most draconian lockdowns, I mean, outside of China, in the world. The city, the supposedly enlightened city, so first they were crowing about how their lockdowns had worked because they forced everybody to wear a mask and you know did the lockdown of the economy. Turns out, even though they had 14-day quarantines in place, well, it turns out that once the virus gets there, the virus gets out, period. And that's the way viruses work. These lockdowns, as I've talked about many times on the show, and as Tom Woods has continuously put out in, in his newsletters to his credit, there's zero evidence to show the lockdowns work. There's zero evidence to show that social distancing does anything. Countries that have done the lockdown and countries that did no lockdown have similar infectious results. Sweden now has had their cases dropped, has had their death rate stabilized. Now they are pulling out of it. They did not sacrifice their economy. All they did was have suggested people stay home. You know, the most at risk can stay home. Maybe you don't want to participate in the economy. Maybe you don't want to go out so much. They did not enforce or force anybody to wear a mask. They did not force lockdowns. They had, I think, a limit of 50 people at public events. They kept all the bars and restaurants open. They're now coming out of it. As we see now, America looking to Melbourne and saying, should we have a lockdown again like this? Even though our death rates are stabilizing, our case rates are up because of the testing. But again, the people that are getting infected because of these higher cases are all young. They're not going to die. Something like 0.05% of younger people get this and actually pass away from it. It's ridiculous. So let me tell you, though, a little bit more about what's going on in Melbourne. This is per a friend of Jeffrey Tucker summarizing the situation. Now, here's tell me, that, tell me this isn't straight out of 1984. Police can enter anyone's home without a warrant. 8 p.m. curfew. A $1,652 fine if you're outside without, quote, a valid reason. And, of course, the government decides what reasons are valid on a changing basis. And without any input from the fucking public. And that's what drives me the most nuts. All these goddamn rules are being put in place. No one's voting on them. No one's holding a public forum to discuss them. They're just putting them into place and telling us, fuck you. We're going to throw you in a cage if you decide that you want to go outside and walk your dog without a permission. 
What else? Oh, you can't visit any family or friends. $200 fine if you don't wear a mask, which are mandatory at all times. You're allowed to exercise one time a day for an hour. And one person per household per day is allowed to leave the house, including going for groceries. You're not allowed to go outside a three-mile radius from your home. Weddings are illegal. No gatherings are legal. The army is on the streets finding and arresting people. And they have done a total of 193,740 spot checks across Victoria, which is the state. All protests and activism are illegal. And the media is calling all protesters right-wing conspiracy nutjobs. But naturally, they are. So if you go and protest this, which I plan fully on protesting, should we get another lockdown type of state? I will 100% be out there because it is time for civil disobedience. It is time for warranted civil unrest, unlike what we saw in the majority of cases with the George Floyd movement. Oh, anyway, I'm not going to read the entire thing. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And by the way, not to make light of George Floyd, of course, I did an entire episode dedicated to how what happened to George Floyd was an abominable abuse of police power, how no matter what you thought could be, you know, whatever kind of guy he was, and there's plenty of evidence to show that he was a real piece of shit, if we're being completely honest, a man did not deserve to die in that manner uh, over, you know, I don't know, resisting arrest. To have a cop knee on his neck for eight minutes is, is ridiculous, inexcusable. But again, as we're seeing, to my broader point, with the civil unrest that's gone on, like in Portland, for 55 days or 60 days, where they're just going and destroying people's private property uh, in the guise of, of Black Lives Matter, but really under pushing a Marxist ideology where they want to. And this is in the words of the people that run Black Lives Matter, by the way, and is in their their doctrine right, just right now, uh, to tear down capitalism and erase it. Which, of course, you know, runs counter to every single economically proven theory, uh, runs counter to basic liberties. So... Not a fan. Uh, anyway, and also the other thing that uh, to make note of this episode, some 30 million Americans supposedly died of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I guess according to American polls, and this was done by a research tracker, what are they called? It's like K-E-K-S-T-C-N-C. What the fuck does that stand for? Anyway, Kekistan? <laughs> The Kekistan, uh, I don't even know what CNC would stand for. Anyway, they did a bunch of countries, but they found that in America where they polled people, they thought that 9% of Americans had died. 30 million people from COVID when the actual death count somewhere around 150,000. Just shows you the power of the media, the power of misperception, and why Americans might be more, uh, might have not had the adversity to having these Melbourne-style lockdowns that you might think. But fortunately... I think that we are seeing people wake up. I think you're seeing a lot of people pushing back now, especially because we can't, we simply can't absorb another economic lockdown. We already had the biggest drop in, in uh, GDP in American history, I believe, this last quarter. People are not going to be able to live off the government dole forever. And eventually the bill is going to come due. And I know, you know, Jason Stapleton, um, I mentioned was just on Bravo and Beer. I was listening to his podcast and he did a great job of kind of breaking down what the Fed is doing now and how they're proposing this new catch-all, which would be an automated, basically an automated stimulus program, wherein they're theorizing now that we should take it out of the hands of government, so non-politicizing payments, where the Fed would automatically send out these uh, these zero, what do they call it? zero, 
voucher bonds. And should you have a drop in 0.5% in unemployment, bam, they immediately send out $300 to your bank account. If we have a COVID type thing, bam, immediately sends out $1,000 to your bank account. So again, printing money out of nothing, sending it out to people, getting them a, a, used to getting government money on the dole and on the regular. It's just a, a horrible, horrible idea to give an institution like this so much more power than it already has to influence our money supply and influence the way in which people comport themselves, savings and loans, interest rates, et cetera. It's just, it's just fucking crazy. Okay, moving on. God, I'm already going so long. I want to talk a little bit about TikTok. Donald Trump's been going on about it. I think this is a major, major mistake. Now, granted, most of the people that are on TikTok are, are rabid lefties anyway. These are people that are in college campuses, younger people that are in high school through to college age, and are on TikTok, which, by the way, I downloaded the absolute stupidest app I've ever seen in my life. All it is is people doing idiotic videos where they're changing clothes, right? You know, ah, I'm wearing this. Boink, I'm using that. Oh, boink, I'm in another outfit. And people dancing to choreographed songs in a 30-second manner, right? Or uh, challenges. Make a face where you look like a cat. Now make a face where you look like you're happy. Now you're sad. It's the fucking stupidest content I've ever seen in my life. Perfect for the new generation of morons. And I apologize if you're from the new generation of morons and you found the Lions of Liberty and you welcomed libertarianism <laughs> into your heart, then you are not uh, clearly the, per the person I'm talking about here. But wow, the vast majority. Oh, insane. But at the same time, look, that's a market. You should be able to participate in that market. Donald Trump's talking about banning TikTok in the United States, which is insane. Insane. I don't give a shit if it is a tool of the Chinese government to monitor you, you voluntarily installed it on your phone, didn't you? Just like you voluntarily installed Facebook on your phone, which the U.S. government is in bed with and uses to mine your data and spy on you and uses for law enforcement tactics. You voluntarily installed Google Maps and Google everything else. You voluntarily installed Apple with its COVID tracking on your phone. You intentionally bought in. That's a contract. That's the deal you make with the fucking devil. For Donald Trump to come in and say that you can't use TikTok, they're going to ban it, is number one, fucking hypocritical, ah, blah, hypocritical to the tens and should be fucking illegal. You're now, not only are crushing people's uh, economic ability to get regular jobs, but you have an entire generation now of content creators that have tried to make a living and people that are just out of work, out of college, sitting at home, these people are able to make a living on TikTok, get millions of followers, get contracts, become influencers, as much as I hate social media influencers, but they're making a living. This is an economy that's been created. This is a marketplace. And now you want to come and fucking remove that ability, that marketplace? You want to go and grandstand about censorship where you're pissed off that Twitter is censoring conservatives, and then you want to censor an entire generation of people using a fucking voluntarily uh, downloaded app? Kiss my ass. All right, next, we're going to talk about some good stuff here, and then we'll go into our idiots of the week, both of which are from Illinois. Clearly, Illinois, hotbed of moron genes. Okay, so an MSNBC producer uh, has resigned, and her name is, where's her name? Peccary. What's her first name? Ariana Peccary. 
or Picari. I don't know how you pronounce it. But Ariana Picari wrote an open letter. She was formerly a producer at MSNBC uh, who worked for a uh, one of the prime shows there. What was it? The O'Donnell Show, I think. Yeah, Lawrence O'Donnell. Last word with Lawrence O'Donnell. She wrote a scathing letter talking about the process there, wherein basically just confirming everything you already know. That they would push biases, that they only ran stories that they knew would get uh, divisive and angry reactions from people. That a producer there told her that they were not journalists and their job was not to be journalists and that people didn't come to them for news. They came to them for comfort. Now, I agree with that. Just like I agree that The Daily Show is not fucking comedy. It is simply uh, platitudes for woke morons. But we're seeing... This is like, I mean, MSNBC is a major news outlet. It is intentionally shifting the biases of people by providing them with one-sided information. And she talks about in this how they would leave out pertinent editorial information because they simply didn't need it. And she talks about how they are literally a cancer. And she uses the word cancer talking about the news media currently as did another woman who was talking to her that works there saying that we are the cancer and there is no cure. And I'll tell you, here's, I'll read you an excerpt. Quote, this cancer risks human lives, even in the middle of a pandemic. The primary focus quickly became what Donald Trump was doing. And of course, in parentheses, poorly to address the crisis rather than the science itself. As new details have become available about antibodies, a vaccine, or how COVID actually spreads, producers still want to focus on the politics. Important facts or studies get buried. This cancer risks our democracy, even in the middle of a presidential election. Any discussion about the election usually focuses on Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, a repeat offense from 2016. Trump smothers out all other coverage. And also important is to ensure citizens can vote by mail this year, but I've watched the topic get ignored or killed multiple times. I've heard our producers deny their role as journalists. A very capable senior producer said, quote, our viewers don't really consider us the news. They come to us for comfort. Of course, I alluded to that earlier. Now, we can't change the inherently broken structure of broadcast news, but I know for certain that it won't change unless we actually face it in public and at least try to change it. And she said, of course, more than ever, she is craving a full and civil discourse. Now, this comes after Barry Weiss left. This uh, I remember there was a prominent CBS reporter who had, uh, and he was a big anti-war guy as well, calling out the media. We may, we may be reaching a turning point. The more people that come out like this, the more people are going to be emboldened to come out like this. But again... I want to see more cancel culture. I want to see more ridiculous reporting. I want to see it go because it has to go all the way. It's like in Fight Club, one of my favorite movies by the great Chuck Palahniuk. And by the way, the only book I've ever read where the screenplay and the movie was actually better than the book. <laughs> it's actually better written. So Chuck Palahniuk, good job making the screenplay better than the book. But, you know, it's like you have to lose everything before you're free to hit anything, right? You got to hit rock bottom or you're free to do anything. We got to hit rock bottom here as fast as possible. Not saying that we have to go into full civil unrest or, or a civil war. That's not the rock bottom. I mean, I mean, from a cultural cancel culture level, as far as the ridiculousness, the insanity, we have to hit bottom so we can push back up. You know, it's like if you're drowning in a pool, float to the bottom, bitch, push yourself back up from the floor. That's how you stay alive. So let's sink to the bottom together, you and I. And people that are helping that along, ah, a little water from my throat, 
Mayor Lori Lightfoot, noted dipshit, has come out and said that the Chicago bloodshed is to blame on the results of states in the union that have, quote, virtually no gun control. Now, there is no state in the union that has virtually no gun control. That is absolutely ridiculous. But she says that that's where they're coming from, that there's no ban on assault weapons. Again, not true. Uh, that, you know, that, well, actually, no, there is no ban on, quote, unquote, assault weapons. She's right in that case, because what, how do you even define an assault weapon? But she's saying that all these other places are bringing guns in, and that's why they have a gun issue. N- nothing to do, of course, with the culture. Nothing to do, of course, with uh, with bad leadership and bad economic situations that Democrats have doubled down on for decades running the city of Chicago. No mention of that. Nope. It's got to be these damn gun-friendly states supplying criminals with guns. Just, you know, proving the point that no matter what you fucking do with your gun regulations and your gun laws, criminals will still get guns. And Lori, I hate to break it to you, but even if the states around you still had gun laws in place, the criminals will still get guns. In fact, there will be an even bigger black market for those guns because people will be flooding the market knowing that there is a dearth of available guns so they can get prime costs for the guns. So now you're going to have an even more thriving black market. So welcome in more crime, more crime between the gangs that are dealing the guns. And then, of course, more crime between the gangs that are buying the guns. Simply a magnificent masterclass and having your head so far up your ass that you cannot see the cycle that you are creating and perpetuating. But of course, that is the trademark of most of these democratically run cities. And again, I'm not absolving the GOP of shit, by the way. And as I've said before in this podcast, I know I bash the Democrats way more than the Republicans, but it's because the Republicans seem to be doing nothing. And the Democrats keep fucking pushing to destroy our civil liberties. So I'm pretty much regulated to bashing the GOP on warfare and spending for the most part, because I don't know what the fuck else that they stand for anymore. They don't stand against, and of course, domestic spying. I'll also happily bash them on that. But on this culture stuff, they just seem to be sitting on their hands. They're not, they're not saying anything. They're not pushing back in any way. Uh, how about this one? Again, Illinois. Big, big shock. But this one's extra, extra special. So State Representative LaShawn K. Ford said that current history teachings overlook the contributions of women and minorities. Now, this is in the face of common history books, which are pushing and they learn about basically teach black history month an entire month. So I don't know how you overlook those contributions. I myself growing up knew a shit ton about black influence, black inventors, black, uh, you know, leaders and rights movements. It was taught quite a bit, but he says that we now have to immediately remove history curriculums and books that quote unfairly communicate history until a suitable alternative is developed. So, to take it straight out of 1984, we're no longer going to teach history until our version of approved, scrubbed, doctored, biased history is put into place. Look, there might be more you could jam into a history book about black people and culture and women in culture, but like I said... I got a pretty goddamn good education from the history books that I read 35 years ago. 
It had quite a bit about black women and minority women and black men and whatever else. I'll tell you, honestly, if anything is left out, it's not the black aspect. If anything is left out, because of the change in demographics in the country, you might want to talk a little bit more about Latino influence. But again, that didn't start until much later in our country's evolution. So if anything should be addressed, that would be more of what you want to address. Or maybe the influence of Asian Americans as you know, Chinese, Japanese, uh, Korean influences became more pronounced in our country rather than just the Chinese built the railroads and black people were slaves and then became not slaves, but then they don't really talk anymore about the Chinese and the Japanese other than maybe an internment camp mention. Point being, this is ridiculous. You can't just stop teaching history until you get what you want out of history. History is there. History is definitely is definitely written by the victors, by the way. Revisionist history can be a good thing where appropriately sourced, proved, and researched to the point where you're not just jamming in the 1619 uh, project and, and jamming in woke politics and jamming in how we all should be ashamed of everything that we've, we've known and everything that we've been and that we all have ingrained uh, shame and, and how we should be punished for simply being a certain color. No, you, you don't get to do that. And if you do do that, what you're doing is setting up for every next generation to, to just devise their new revised history. Whoever, and you know, because politics flips, this shit will flip. And the way that these, these Democrats are pushing it, it's going to flip pretty, pretty hard the other way at some point. So then what are you going to have? Just like Obama talking about getting rid of the filibuster, one of the stupidest things, every time they degrade the checks and balances in the Senate, uh, in the way in which government operates, they're there for a reason, you fucking idiots. You get rid of the filibuster now, you lower the threshold for voting to pass legislation. You don't think it's going to flip the other way and bite you in the ass, you morons? It's the same thing with rewriting history. It's the same thing with anything in this vein where you need to try to keep it as apolitical as possible. And these people want to destroy that. And now it's just going to be, history is going to be the new football. Whoever gets to take power, whoever has, uh, has precedence and the cultural voice of the time gets to totally rewrite history. Now, there's always going to be some element of that. Don't get me wrong, but not to this blatant and idiotic attempt. All right, that's gonna do it. I'm hot. That's an hour. Blam. My bonus show was longer than this, but I'm too hot and I'm not drunk, so tough nuggets. All right, guys. At the end of the show, I want to remind you to tune into Mark Claire on Mondays with his interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. Of course, we got John Odiodermat with Felony Fridays, wrapping it up every Friday, and me every Wednesday. Now, don't forget, too, we got Conspiracy Corners coming up, Degenerate Gamblers coming back. We got a special bonus secret drinking show episode, but that is only for you behind the paywall. So patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. I will leave you with that. So from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.